Well, if you came here uh, this morning with someone, whether married or whether you just carpooled here, uh, you clearly agreed on a number of, of matters, a number of things, basic beliefs that Jesus is important maybe, the, the, the church you're attending, you agreed on that, the time to depart, e- even likely where you're going to sit was something you may have agreed upon. But there's one thing you likely haven't accounted for or anticipated, and that is the matter of how quickly you get out of here after the last song we sing. You may think that your ride's on the same page, right? They may have even said as much, but there's no way to be sure until they actually open that door and click that seatbelt, because even in the parking lot, it's not a safe zone for whether someone is really going to leave church or not, right? Because there's always a chance your ride makes eye contact with someone, or someone just gives their, gives their name a shout, Joe, right? And, and they're like, oh, hey, and then, then you're in trouble. Early in our marriage, Katie and I's marriage, uh, Katie defined my personality not by a Myers-Briggs personality profile or one of the, one of the five love languages and like that. It was based on my lingering around on Sunday. She would actually say to people, you know, Ryan, he's one of those people who's the last to leave on Sunday morning. Yeah, he's one of those guys, right? And this was before uh, uh, being a pastor. There's, this was before being paid to stay, right? He's been pay, paid to stick around. Even then, she said, yeah, Ryan, he, he, he says, yeah, 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 we'll, we'll leave a few minutes after the service, but he always sticks around every time. But I would contend this is, could be a thing because of our, our varying conceptions of when worship actually ends. Actually ends. And, and I would contend even that the most prepared we can possibly be for the best possible conversation we may ever have is just after that last song on a Sunday morning. I'm not trying to use hyperbole here. Think of it. We've all come for Jesus. We've just been fed by His Word. We've just had a heart made happy by singing to Him. And it's like we've got an injection of spiritual steroids, right? Boom, right in there. Right in the vein. We're strong. Why waste it than by running out on Sunday? Why waste it by not saying anything of what you're feeling, what you're thinking to anyone else? Why waste that? We're all continuing here this morning in our series, How to Walk into Church, in which we're singing to, seeking to maximize the connections that we all make when we get together on a Sunday morning. It's connections both to God and to one another, and there's no other time like it. We've said that Sundays are magnificently different. So, We've tried to be very practical about this. How can we best prepare ourselves to walk into these doors on Sunday mornings, right? How can we best prepare ourselves for that? Okay? And so we spent our first week talking about that. Then when we asked the question, what are we doing actually between 10 and 11.30? And what about that time, that time just after we sing our final song? The time where, where people linger in their rows, Right? They mingle either in the back or wherever it is you pick up your kids, people, or, or that time where you make the mad dash to the parking lot, you get into your driver's seat and peel out a 20 MPH, right? Get out of here. We're talking about that time this morning. Words and possibilities that, that take place in that, that one to 30 minute period afterwards that we're going to discuss. Because it's that time 
that presents a possibility of, of the best conversation, the best interaction of your life if you choose to stick around just a little bit longer. So we're trying to be very thoughtful and practical how we think about Sunday morning, the before, the during, the just after. And there's a very wonderful and practical passage in the New Testament book of Hebrews that's tailor-made to help us stick around just a little bit longer, to help, help us stick around, speak up, and stir up some of the best interactions of your life no exaggeration. So let's open your Bibles to the book of Hebrews chapter 10. All right, open your Bibles. You can find a Bible nearby, somewhere nearby. You got them in chair pockets in these aisles. Find a Bible, open to Hebrews chapter 10. That's, if you don't know where Hebrews is, it's towards the back of the Bible on page 865 if you're using one of the Bibles we have provided. So let's read it together. We're going to read it together. Then I'm going to tell you what it's going to do Then I'm going to summarize some of the strange stuff that it says, all right? So Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 19, we'll read through verse 25. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This is God's word. Now this is what our passage is going to help us do. In a nutshell, it's this. Draw near, speak up, stir up. To draw near, to speak up, and to stir up. That's what it's going to do. The heart motivation is here in this passage. God gives it to us to, to, to draw near to one another in the first place before running for the exits. When all is said and done, all right? It's going to equip us to speak to one another in a way that gets beyond just what's superficial. And finally, it's going to stir up, help us stir up somebody else sitting near us in our lives for the week ahead to stir them up to do love and good works and represent Jesus in their life. And each of these steps that you see up here, drawing near, speaking up, stirring up, is immensely practical we want to get to the point where we, we know someone well enough, right, to, to use words like the words that have just been preached or words that we sing, to use these words to stir somebody else up, to help them act like Jesus during the week, love and good works. But to get to that point, to really actually do that, to have the guts to do that, you actually kind of get to know, notice someone a little bit first, right? You, you have to know a little bit about their story, know a little bit about the context of their lives. Otherwise, that's probably stirring someone up, spurring them on. It's probably not going to happen, right? So first, we've got to get to know them. So you can start then, backing up a step, by having a gospel conversation with them to share a little bit about yourself, a little bit about how Jesus intersects with your life, touches upon your life, even in some small way. And yet, even this kind of open talk sounds awkward to some and horrifying for others. Really? I've got, I've got to talk about my life and... Jesus is part of it. 
that could sound horrifying. And so let's step even further back. We've got to be in further back by getting some real divine motivation and assurance for approaching somebody in the first place. Because discomfort is our default. Rejection is always a real possibility when we approach someone after a Sunday morning service. And that's exactly how the Bible addresses us here, encourages us here in Hebrews. It's immensely practical. First, let us draw near. Get that divine motivation and and assurance to approach someone in the first place. Second, let us speak up. Let's embrace gospel talk. The points where Jesus' life and Jesus' power and his love intersects with ours and actually helps us. And then third, let us stir up. Once we get to know another person's story, how can I encourage that person? How can I stir them up so they can live like Jesus Monday through Friday? So first, let us draw near. Let us draw near. So maybe your personality is timid. It takes you a while to warm up to other people. Or maybe you're someone who, you know, you're okay with a bit of small talk. You like to chat people up a bit. But when it comes to to actually having deeper, more meaningful conversations, please warm up the car. Right? Let's, let, let's get going. So, but God, thankfully, He gives us this, this heart-level motivation for actually drawing near to other people. We see it in verses 19-22. Let's read those together. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that He opened for us through the curtain that is through His flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Let us draw near. You got to wonder here what's going on. There's lots of talk here about blood, about priests, about curtains, about flesh. What is happening in these verses? And, and the great thing is there's a children's book available on our book table called The Garden, The Curtain, and The Cross. It's a wonderful little book. And sometimes a children's book can communicate better than a Bible commentary or even a preacher. Amen? At the risk of sounding a bit patriarchal, I'll use my best Father's Day voice, move over to this chair, and I'm going to read for us a a bit of a summary of what's going on here in Hebrews, okay? So we're going to read this together, because some of you may be confused by some of the language we read in Hebrews 10. All right, so here's the story, again, from the book, The Garden, The Curtain, and The Cross. Here we go. Look, it's got pictures, which I like. All right, very long time ago, right here in this world, there was a garden. You see that? Very good, all right. And you can can come closer. If you want to sit on the floor for this, you're welcome to as well, but all right. In the garden, everything was wonderful. The world was full of laughing and playing and smiling and fun. There was nothing bad ever. There was no one sad ever. And best of all, God was there. People could see God, speak to God, enjoy being with God. And it was wonderful to live with God. But then one day, the people did a terrible thing. They decided they didn't want to do what God said. They decided they wanted a world without God in charge. So God calls this sin. Sin spoils things. So sin has no place in God's wonderful garden. God said to the people, you can't live with me in my garden anymore. So he sent them outside. To show the people they had to stay outside, God put some warrior angels in front of the garden. The angels were like a big keep out sign. God wanted people to remember, though, it is wonderful to live with him, but because of your sin, you can't come in. So he told the people to build a special building called his temple, where he would live. And in the middle of the temple was the most wonderful place in the world. It was the place where God was, with nothing bad and nothing sad. It was very, very exciting. But then God told people to put a big 
curtain around this wonderful place. And the curtain had pictures of warrior angels on them. It was a big keep out sign again. For hundreds of years, the temple curtain reminded people what God said. It is wonderful to live with him, but because of your sin, you can't come in. Except for a few priests from time to time. But this is a children's book, so it doesn't explain that. All right, let's move on. All right. Then one day, God's son came to live in this world as a person. He was called Jesus. Jesus always did what God said. Jesus never sinned. Jesus visited the temple where the keep keep out curtain hung. Jesus knew that things were sometimes sad and sometimes bad. Jesus said that God had sent him to open the way back to God's wonderful place where there would be nothing bad and no one sad. People, though, still didn't want God to be in charge, so they decided to put Jesus on a cross to die. It was the most bad thing that had ever happened. It was the most sad day of all time. But Jesus had a plan. He had always planned to die on a cross. What a strange plan. Why would God's Son plan to die? On the cross, Jesus took all our sin, all the bad things we do, all the sad things they cause, and Jesus took them all from us. And when he did, something amazing, astonishing, astounding happened. The curtain tore. God ripped up the keep out sign. And God's wonderful place is open again. Because Jesus died, we can go in. All right, that concludes our story time this morning. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Most importantly, it summarizes what we read here in Hebrews 10. Jesus' body, his flesh, Jesus the great priest, allows freedom of access to God. He was the curtain between, it says here in these verses, between God and man. And he allowed himself to be ripped. Now a children's book can only explain so much, but the book doesn't explain. And there's actually more than one curtain in the temple. There was definitely a curtain of separation needed between people and the holy and awesome and wonderful God that they want to worship and going to get to know and encounter in their lives. But there was another curtain. Further out, there was a curtain separating men. First, from women, and then from worshiping non-Jews or Gentiles, they were called. So you can think of the temple a little bit like getting on a commercial airline, airplane. Sorry. There's, there's a number of separations in an airplane, right? There's the steel, impenetrable cockpit, right, that separates the people from the pilot. And, and we get that. We want the people and the pilot to be separate. It makes sense to us. But then there's that other curtain. You know what I'm talking about. It's the curtain between coach and first class. And you sit there for hours, you know, being like, man, hate that curtain. Those people, right? Or in the people who sit in first class, I wouldn't know. I'm probably like, yeah, first class, wonderful. Stings to be those people, right? And so, so there's this natural separation. Except in the temple, this curtain was feel, felt like that for the entirety of a person's life. The entirety of their time worshiping God. And so, what a wonderful thing it is that the Bible says that Jesus died to tear down that curtain also. So that we can all draw near to God together. As one, there's not first class and coach as Christians. We are all first class in Christ Jesus. Jesus died then to, to, to ensure individuals first, and died individuals who trust him can draw near to God anytime with full assurance, we see in verse 22, with a conscience sprinkled clean, washed with pure water, but also so we can draw near to one another too. And consider, by the way, how wonderfully different this is. If you go to a club of some kind, I don't know, you might be part of Rotary or uh, 
Toastmasters or something like that, or, or, or consider a gathering, a social, charitable gathering or otherwise, if you're open with someone, right, if you share with them something hard in your life, something vulnerable in your life, and then you share about how Jesus intersected at that hard place in your life, there's a chance, a strong chance you're going to get rejected for sharing that. There's a chance you're going to get shunned away, you're going to get silent treatment, you might get awkward talk, even somebody making a mild joke or an insult. And, and to be honest, that person isn't necessarily to blame. Here's what I mean. A non-Christian is not responsible for understanding you at a heart level, to, to, to accept you, because their heart, a non-Christian's heart, hasn't yet been softened by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But if and when you're in church and you open up slightly to someone, the burden is on us. The, the burden is on me to accept you because you are accepted. That's what our verses tell us, right? You are accepted with full assurance, conscience sprinkled clean, washed pure. So if you're having a conversation where you're open with someone in church and such fellowship fails, for whatever reason, you feel a distance, you feel a coldness, the person doesn't listen well or walks away even, the person never follows up with you. If such fellowship fails, it's not on you. It's not your fault. That makes sense? So, Anytime you approach someone after the service, there is total freedom to fail because you know it's not on you. It's not on you. Your vulnerability and maybe the the rejection that results, it's not on you. God is so pleased that you've responded to his assurance and acceptance of you through Jesus Christ by putting yourself out there. You've said, I know I'm accepted. I know I'm assured of salvation. Nothing can actually really touch me, so I'm putting myself out there. God is so pleased by that. So, so curtains are torn not only between me and God, but between me and all of you. So because of that, let us draw near. Let us draw near. But also, number two, let us embrace gospel talk. Number two, let us embrace gospel talk. What do I mean by this? It's a simple way of re-expressing verse 23. Let us hold fast. Here's another let us. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So during our family worship that we do after, after dinners together, our, our little clan right now has been reading a book for, for teens or preteens called Jesus Freaks. It's a book put out, uh, put out by Voice of the Martyrs. Have you ever heard of that ministry before? Uh, it's a book about 20th century martyrs, people who have died because of their faith. And it's full of inspiring tales from places like China, Russia, Cambodia, uh, the Philippines even, uh, uh, Pakistan, where People stood up for Jesus and died for their faith. Time and time again, many people, under, under threats of, uh, of death through, through a, a gun pointed at their head, or, or through standing naked in a, in a freezing lake, are asked to deny Jesus to save their lives. And time and time again, people confess with their mouth, no, Jesus is my Lord. Jesus is my Savior. Jesus is my only hope. And they pay the price with their lives. And there's definitely a sense in which our verses here, verse 23, refers to such Christians who hold fast to confessing their hope in Jesus without wavering, as it says here. Because God, who promises eternal life, is faithful to keep that promise and welcome them into eternal life, right? So there's a sense in which definitely this verse is talking about such people. Yet if I'm honest, when I'm reading these stories to our kids, when Katie and I are reading these stories to our kids, there's only so many times I can ask our kids, what would you do? What would you do under the threat of death? Right? And the first few times I share that, 
it's pretty serious when we think about it, but that question starts to get old because we don't live in a place where we're under the threat of death constantly for being Christians, for confessing Jesus. Thankfully, confessing our hope in Jesus doesn't have to be under the threat of death. It can be in everyday conversations. It can be a posture of embracing gospel talk, how the good news about Jesus touches our lives, intersects with our lives. That's another way to confess our hope in Jesus. What might that look like for you and I to do that in our everyday conversations? Maybe it's after the service, sharing something simple that, that impacted you from the sermon or from the songs. Something that resonated with you very, very simply from the sermon or from the songs. Not, not to check a box or tick a box, but because something deep down got to you. It touched a place in your life. It convicted you. It, it, it gave you hope. It, it pointed you to Jesus. And you might say, you know what? To be honest, when you approach someone, I'm the bloke who would prefer getting to the parking lot quickly. I'm that guy. And Ryan said that this morning. That, that hit me. So, so it's good to be reminded that I'm not only accepted by Jesus, but I'm accepted by his church. It kind of challenges me to actually draw near a little bit to somebody else for the service. That, that's a way to have a gospel conversation right after we're done on a Sunday morning. To embrace gospel talk. Any way that you can respond to others by saying, I need Jesus also, only furthers gospel conversation. So if someone shares something with you, you can share a way, here's a way I need Jesus in my life. Here's a way I need God in my life. And, and it keeps that gospel conversation going. After today's service, I am going to talk with James Rawcliffe over here about the U.S. Open golf tournament. Because we, we love it. We love the glorious game of golf, right, James? I, I look forward to the conversation. In a few minutes, we're going to sit here and talk about who we think is going to win, what we think is going to happen. And I guarantee one of us is going to bring up Phil Mickelson. He's a famous golfer who withdrew from this U.S. Open golf tournament, a tournament, a, a, a major he has never won and always was one to win so badly, but he withdrew from it because he wanted to attend his oldest daughter's high school graduation where she's speaking as a valedictorian. So he withdrew. And James will remind me that Phil will be blessed because of the decision he made. All right, so he's, he's starting a little bit of a gospel conversation there, a little gospel talk with me. Here's an opportunity for me to further gospel talk. I can say something like, you know what? I hope that I make the same sacrifices if and when my kids have a big moment in their life, that I give up my wants and my needs for them. And to be honest, the only way I'm going to do that is if I keep remembering what my father has done for me through Jesus Christ, that he gave his one and only son. Boom, gospel talk. It just happened right there, right? Not because I'm trying to force it. I'm just saying, hey, man, I need Jesus also in my life, right? So real conversations, you just can include it. So having drawn near to someone after the service, having spoken up a little bit with a bit of gospel talk, now to the next step. Let us stir up. A third and final sort of step in having afterwards conversations. Let us stir up. Read with me verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So what's interesting is the word translated stir up. It's a cool word, right? It kind of jumps off the page. It's a, it comes from a Greek word, paroxosmos, paroxosmos. And that word is almost, it's, it's used negatively everywhere else in the Bible, paroxosmos. Always used negatively. 
It's a word that's usually translated provoke or irritate. Right? That's a negative word. So in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, everyone reads it at weddings, everyone loves it. It says, love must not be irritable. Paroxosmos. So if, if, why is that being used here? Provoking, irritating? Because sometimes the most loving thing we can do is be the straw, be that straw that stirs someone's drink. Right? To be the one to stir it up, all right? That's sometimes the most loving thing we can possibly do. Let me give you an illustration I think that might help give us a visual. Anyone in here like to drink orange juice? Raise your hand if you do. If you're an OJ drinker, I enjoy it as well. If you, if you drink orange juice, that was a good amount of us, you know that when you purchase it at a grocery store, there are three options when purchasing orange juice. You know them, lots of pulp, some pulp, no pulp. All right, so, so, so for instance, how many of you guys are lots of pulp people? Raise your hand. Don't be ashamed. You should be slightly ashamed. I'm sorry. Uh, why do you want to eat while you drink? I don't understand. I, there's one thing you're doing. Just kidding. Don't be. Then you have lots of old people. You have some pulp. People, if you're some pulp, raise your hand. I promise I'm not going to call you out. Okay. And then you have no pulp people, which is the normal people. All right. So, um, but even the no pulp people, you know, you have the experience to know even no pulp has pulp in it. Down deep at the bottom. So you have to stir it. Stir or shake it before you pour. Otherwise, when it's allowed to stand still, stand stagnant, the top gets watery, the bottom's filled with bits. Inside every Christian is fruit. Fruit sometimes waiting to come out. Every Christian has the Holy Spirit. Every Christian is given gifts and talents to bless other people. And yet when the Christian remains still, stagnant. His life is out of balance. Her life's out of balance. And the good news, though, is a Christian can be stirred. A Christian can be stirred through encouragement. That's how we're stirred. That's how we're stirred up. Let me take this illustration a bit further. The author of Hebrews tells us in verse 25, encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Do you see the day drawing near? Now, Christians are always in, in one sense, in waiting mode. We're waiting for our lives to become perfect. We're waiting for sin to be completely done with, for sin to finally lose its sting. And it's going to happen one of two ways, by us dying or by Jesus returning. And that's what the author is talking about, the day. When you see the day approaching, when you see Jesus returning again. Now on normal days, Monday through Fridays, these kinds of days, as we know, start to get indistinguishable from one another. Even Sundays run together. What was last Sunday about? I forget already. Because each of us needs stirring. Each of us needs stirring. I know that I'm so prone to complacency. As the days go on, days go on, I'm prone to complacency. Especially with island living. We live on an island, we have island living. So it's my tendency to go with the safer option when I have them. It's my tendency to make decisions that just mitigate risk entirely. To, To make the comfortable choice when it's readily available. Too often, I settle. I find myself settling. Just to be very honest with you guys. Now listen, I have enough people in my life telling me, ah, no worries. How often do we hear that from people? When, when, when you share something hard, when you share about your, even, even as I share these things, you might say, ah, no worries, man. But I have enough people telling me that. I, I need peop, more people on team stir. Stir me up. I see your gifting, man. I see your gifting, Ryan. Use it. I see you want to walk with Jesus. Keep going. 
I see you, you have opportunities to minister to other people. Step into those opportunities. That, that's what I need. And my suspicion is you need that also. You need less people on team no worries <laughs> and more people stirring in your life. So you can also be that kind of person to others. I'd like to point out something interesting about our Sunday worship. That's what our text is all about, by the way, isn't it? Our Sunday gatherings. What does it say here? Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together. In other words, our gathered times of worship. And one aspect of our gathered times of worship, even as we're singing together, is to consider how to stir one another up towards love and good works. To consider, as we worship, how can I stir the person sitting nearby towards love and good works. That's why worship is never about me and my two-by-two telephone booth with God, right? Sometimes there are people around us and we're worshiping with God and we think, oh, it's so good. People aren't even around me. It's just me and God, me and JC together. But that's not how worship is supposed to be. It's us together drawing near to God, right? It's everyone showing up on Sunday and asking myself, asking God, I see that person three rows in front of me. I see them. How can I stir them up towards love and good works? That's part of our worship also. Not just this bubble singing to God and thinking about God, but how can I stir that person up? What does that look like for us? It might be asking just a simple question. Like, hey, what's God teaching you these days? Or what are you reading in the Bible? Or how can I pray for you if you want to take a little bit bolder step? It might be telling the person, hey, I saw you this morning. You just kind of popped to mind. I just wondered if God's putting you on my heart. Gives them an open door to share if God's doing something in their lives. Maybe you just share an encouraging verse. Or maybe you offer to take the person out to lunch or for coffee or you bless them in some other way. It might be outside the box. I was reading a great story about one of my spiritual heroes, Martin Luther. And Martin was feeling down, even depressed, for, for really some significant period of time. And his best teammate of all, his wife Katie, well, she tried to encourage him. Over and over, nothing worked. So she starts thinking outside the box. She starts thinking, how can I spur him on? How can I stir him towards love and good deeds? And so one morning, she comes down the stairs dressed entirely in black. (laughs) And just asks her, did someone die? And she said, yes. Yes, Martin, God did. And he says, what? God hasn't died. So she just replies, well, then please stop acting like it. And that just got him. It's what he needed. It stirred him up. He's like, you know what? I need to get off my seat. I need to go love others. I need to go serve others. It's what he needed. The only way to have and be such a teammate is first responding to Jesus' assurance and acceptance of you. That he died for you to make a way to know God forever. You respond to that. You're assured by that. Then you can draw near to other people because you're in a no-lose situation. And if you do that, You can just start to share a little bit. Speak up about how Jesus intersects in your life. And if you do that, you can become the kind of person who stirs people up to love and good works. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much. Holy Spirit, thank you so much for writing the Bible and for giving us such practical teaching about how we can spend our time in fellowship. Even that time, that one to 30 minute period after the last song is sung on a Sunday morning, when we're filled up, when we're ready to go, when we're so encouraged, not to to waste our encouragement, 
to, to, to waste the ways, Jesus, that you've intersected in our lives by, by just staying silent. But talking afterwards with our words. And, and then as, as we just be vulnerable with people, we can start to even stir them up to encourage them for all the hard days we have during our week. May we become such people here at Sunrise Community Church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.